0: Today's scripture reading is Matthew 11:28 through 30. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is God's word. So glad to be back with you and to have my wife with me. We were without our kids for the day, and so we're like going to go on a date after this is over. Um, it's been a great trip already. We were listening to some 90s uh, Christian uh, worship on the way over here. She was literally signing the big house by audio adrenaline. And so if anybody grew up uh, in the 90s following Jesus, or uh, at least in church, you might remember that. And so uh, I love your leadership here, Uh, Chris and Jeremy and Ron and Dave, and and, and just the whole staff, man, I love dearly. I mean, if my wife and I were going to locate to Memphis, this is a church we would want to be a part of. And so it's a real gift to be able to be here with you guys um, today. And so, um, yeah, I want to just pray for us. One more time as we dive in, Um, nobody showed up today just to hear some dude from Arkansas talk about uh, life or just give my own opinion. So we need the Holy Spirit uh, to take the word that was just read and make it alive in our hearts. Let's pause and let's pray one more time and then we'll dive into it. Father, I thank you so much for um, sustaining us through the night while we did nothing. And then you woke us up and you gave us a beautiful day. And already so many blessings, Uh, just reminded of your goodness as I was eating Gibson donuts and just your provision in our lives. Uh, You're such a good God. We need to believe today that you're not just a God who saves, but you're a God who satisfies. And you're not just a God who wants to meet us in the next life, you want to meet us in this life. And so, Holy Spirit, would you please take the words that are alive and active and drive them in our hearts and transform us from the inside out for our good and your glory. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Hey, let me see a show of hands. How many David Hasselhoff fans do we have in the room this morning? David Hasselhoff? Okay. David Hasselhoff's a really big deal in Arkansas. I don't know about Memphis. Um, What's not to love about that, right? I actually, uh, believe it or not, have a lot in common with David Hasselhoff. Um, let me just share a few examples. Um, David Hasselhoff loves to drive black cars. Anybody here remember the Night Rider? Okay. Yes. I also enjoy a good black car. I drive a 2006 Honda Accord, which is a lot like the Knight Rider in many ways. It's got leather interior. Um, David Hasselhoff used to be a lead singer in a band. Anybody ever watch the video, Looking for Freedom, live at the Berlin Wall? Anybody? One lucky soul. The rest of you don't even know what life is all about. Go check out Looking for Freedom, live at the Berlin Wall. Not right now, but later. Go and YouTube it. So, David Hassoff used to be a lead singer of a band. I also used to be a lead singer of a band. Yes, that is me. Before the gray hair and the beard, I mean, I was, I don't know what I was singing, but I mean it. And so I meant every word. Uh, my wife fell in love with me whenever I was in that band, so it worked out, okay? And so, and then lastly, David Hasselhoff was a lifeguard, right? Um, anybody remember the days of Baywatch? And uh, I also used to be a lifeguard. And so, um, yeah, I, uh... My face may or may not be photoshopped on David Hasselhoff's body. Um, true story, I used to be a lifeguard in Louisville, Kentucky at the Southern Seminary. We had an Olympic pool there. And to be certified as a lifeguard, I had to go through a series of tests. And so had to take the written test to prove that I knew about the pH of a pool and all that kind of stuff. And then I had to take a physical test to prove that I could actually rescue someone if they were drowning. And so... Um, if I remember correctly, the test was uh, we had to like dive down to the bottom of the pool for one test, like 12 feet or 14 feet deep, I can't remember. But we had to sit on the bottom of the pool, grab a 20-pound weight, and then bring it out and set it on the top. We had to swim 25 laps down and back. We had to uh, prove that we could tread water for two minutes without stopping. We had to do different rescues. And then at the end of all of that, the hardest part of the lifeguard test was this, is they had us get at one end of the pool... And they wanted us to go under the water, completely immerse ourselves underwater, and then swim from one end of the pool all the way to the other without coming up. Okay. And so keep in mind, this is not like a pool in your backyard. This is like 70 feet long, right? You're already fatigued, you're already tired, you're already winded. But they tell you go into the pool, kick off, and then just swim. You can't, no part of your body can come up out of the water. And so I took off. I'm doing my thing. About halfway through, I'm feeling pretty good about, uh, you know, what's going on. I think I'm going to be able to make it. But then I. I look up, I notice like I still can't see the end of the pool. I still can't see the wall. And so I began to panic a little bit. My chest began to get tighter, my heart began to beat faster, right? I began to move my little scrawny legs a little bit quicker. I began to stretch, I began to move, and I didn't think I was going to make it. And finally, whenever I thought truly like I was about to like drown, I finally got to the wall. I touched it by God's grace. I made it out. I passed my test. And when I came out of the water, it was the best feeling in the world right cuz i could finally breathe i could rest i could relax and the reason i share that is because i think whenever you consider where you are in your life right now there are many of you that are still waiting for that moment to just to breathe to rest some of you today when you think about your calendar when you think about your to-do list When you think about your inbox, when you think about all that your kids have going on, right? When you think about all of those items that you even have to knock off on your spiritual to-do list, some of you feel like this morning you've been dropped into a pool with no oxygen mask and you've been told, you know, if you'll just keep swimming, right? If you will just, you know, get to that next season of life, then, (sighs) You'll be able to breathe. You'll be able to rest. You'll be able to relax. But the truth is, as you continue to swim, you notice, as you continue to try to work harder and stretch further and do more, you feel like there's really no end in sight. There's no relief. There's no rest. And maybe today, because of that, you feel weary. You feel tired. You feel anxious. And maybe you're starting to wonder if this is just the way life has got to be, right? Some of you in here, you're starting to wonder, like, maybe this is just the way life is, just frantically swimming through life, trying not to drown, trying not to suffocate beneath the pressure of all that I have to do. And then we come to Matthew 11, and we read Jesus' words where he says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. This morning, Jesus wants to extend an invitation to the tired to the burnt out, to the wore down, to all the over-busy people in this room who are living with this low-grade sense of fatigue and anxiety that rarely seems to go away. I wonder if I'm speaking to anybody in the room today. I love Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of this passage. He says the following in the message. Are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the enforced rhythms of grace. I love that. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn how to live freely and lightly. No matter who you are or where you come from today, whether this is your first time in a church service or you've been in church your entire life, Jesus is inviting every one of you today to a life where you can actually wake up every morning feeling lighthearted and face your day with joy in your heart as you continue to follow after Jesus. This is a life, no matter who you are today, it's a life you all long for, it's a life you all need, and it is a life, Jesus says, that we can experience if we will take up what he calls the easy yoke. Now, what in the world does it mean to take up the yoke? If we're going to find rest, Jesus says, you take up my yoke. So what exactly is a yoke. Well, fortunately, I have this picture on a screen to try to drive this home for you. And what you need to see is this, is that a yoke in first century Palestine was a wooden instrument. It was a work instrument that was handcrafted to fit perfectly the neck of these oxen to make sure they could pull heavy load without it hurting them or cutting into their necks. And what's interesting when you think about this picture of the, of the, of the yoke, it's kind of interesting, isn't it, that Jesus says, Hey, you want rest? come and pick up this device. It seems kind of like an oxymoron, right? Like, how is that possible? Well, fortunately, Frederick Dale Bruner, who's a New Testament theologian, shed some light on this problem. He says, whenever Jesus offers us a yoke, he offers what we might think tired workers need the least. We need a mattress or a vacation, amen? (laughs) Not a yoke, But Jesus realizes the most restful gift that he can give the tired is a new way to carry life. A fresh way to bear responsibilities. Realism sees that the life, that this life is a succession of burdens that we cannot get away from. Thus, instead of offering escape, Jesus offers equipment. When Jesus invites us to pick up his yoke, he's inviting us into a new way of carrying life that will give us more rest than the way that we have been living. I think you would all agree with me that there is an emotional weight to this life. And I don't know about you, but it seems like the older I get, the heavier sometimes life becomes. Right? I think about whenever I was 18 years old, the biggest responsibility I had was to make sure that I got my Pop-Tarts in the microwave Ate them and then got to school on time. That was it. Biggest stressor of my life. Which, which flavor pop tart am I going to eat, right? Then I went to college and I actually had to get a part-time job. And I actually had to do homework. And then I got married. I actually had to think about someone other than myself. And I had to ensure that the bills were being paid. And that we had food on the table. Then I started pastoring a church and started getting gray hair. And then we had a kid And I like literally remember about thinking, I cannot believe the nurses and doctors are going to send us home with this human being and expect us to keep it alive. And then we had another kid. And then we had another kid, right? And I'm so thankful for all of this. But what I've discovered is the older that we get, the more responsibilities we take on. And with each responsibility, it often feels like we're stacking weight upon weight upon weight. And therefore, if we can just be honest today, guys, doesn't it at times feel like whenever Jesus calls us to be His disciples, Or whenever a pastor gets up here and says, "You should read your Bible daily, you should get involved in a small group, you should get a meal to those people in need, doesn't it feel like just another weight upon a weight, upon another weight? And maybe you sit here and you think, man, is it really possible in this world, in the United States of America, in 2017, to do all of this work and not feel weary? Is it really possible to fulfill all of these responsibilities and still experience rest? And Dallas Willard, he says, actually, yes. But you have to understand the following. Dallas Willard says, in this truth lies the secret of the easy yoke. You ready? Here it is. The secret involves living as Jesus lived in the entirety of his life, adopting his overall lifestyle. Our mistake is to think that following Jesus consists in loving our enemies, going the second mile, turning the other cheek, suffering patiently, and hopefully all while living like the rest or living the rest of our lives like everyone else around us. This, Willard says, is a strategy that is bound to fail. Let me just summarize that. If you today, if you today truly want to experience the life of Jesus, if you want to experience love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness, the power that he walked in, if you really want to experience the life of Jesus, you have to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. That's so simple you might just not even hear what I just said. If you want to experience the life of Jesus, you have to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. You have to be willing today to not just show up here and say, yeah, I agree, the Bible is God's word, and yeah, I believe in these concepts about Jesus. You can't just adopt beliefs and thoughts about Jesus. You must adopt his weekly rhythms. You must learn how to walk and step with Christ wherever you are to match your pace with his pace And this is what ultimately it means to take up his easy yoke. If you want to make following Jesus as hard as possible, here's how you do it. You ready? In case there is someone here today that's like, I want to make Jesus like almost following him like (laughs) incredibly difficult, right? Like here's how you do it. You want to know how to make following Jesus really, really, really hard, like impossibly hard? Here's what you do. You ready? Do everything Jesus told you to do and do everything the world's telling you to do as well. Say yes to Jesus and say yes to everything that the people around you are saying yes to. Try to live like everybody else around you in the culture and then cram Jesus into the nooks and crannies of your life. I would say this is the way most of the people that I'm familiar with are trying to live. And then we wonder why we come in here today, out, exhausted, feeling like God is a million miles away. And incredibly, if we could just peel back your life and look at your marriage or how you parent or how you spend your money or what's going on in your head, it's why so many of us are incredibly today, emotionally and spiritually unhealthy. Because we're attempting to follow Jesus with a strategy that Dallas Willard says is bound to fail. This is why if you want to experience the life of Jesus, you have to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. This is what it means to take up the easy yoke, to tuck right in next to Christ, to walk and step with him and to sync your life with his life. And here's the problem with that. Are you ready? Here's the problem with that. And you're probably already feeling the tension. If you are going to match your pace to the life of Christ, that means that many of us, if not all of us in here, are going to have to learn to slow down. We're going to have to learn how to cut out some of the noise and the distractions in our life that are actually keeping us from walking and experiencing a deep, life-giving relationship with Jesus. John Ortberg, who is a megachurch pastor in California, he was mentored by Dallas Willard, and one time he felt stuck in his discipleship, and so he called Dallas Willard and said, Hey, I don't feel like I'm growing right now in my relationship with Jesus. What do I need to do? And he said, after a long pause on the phone, here's what Dallas Willard says Hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. Therefore, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. John Artboy tells a story, and he's like, Oh, that's good, man. You're like, that's, that's like that's like tweet worthy, right? Which is before Twitter. But he's like, that's great. he writes it down, he's like, All right, what else? And he said, after another long pause, Willard says, There is nothing else. Hurry is the great enemy, and you must ruthlessly eliminate it from your life. Now, let me ask you this. I'm in front of a crowd, but I'm in front of a crowd of individuals. So for you personally, if somebody comes up to you today and said, hey, what do you think the great enemy is to your spiritual life? What do you think it is that's really keeping you from growing and experiencing more intimacy with Christ? What would you say? What would you say the great enemy right now is to your spiritual growth, to you being the man or being the woman that you long to be in Christ? What is it? Would you say liberal America? ISIS? A lack of knowledge? Spiritual attacks from Satan himself? What would you say is the greatest enemy right now to keeping you from being the man or the woman that you were created to be in Christ? Dallas Willard says, you know what it is? It's hurry. It's living such a busy and frantic life that it's actually keeping you from walking in step with Jesus. My mentor, Richard Plass, says the following The great challenge in our day is learning how to slow down long enough to center ourselves rather than scurrying from activity to activity. A rush to life is a life that is out of balance. It is impossible to live a hurried life and have deep relationships with God and others. Our souls simply need space to breathe. I was doing some research um, and I discovered back in 1879, before the invention of the light bulb, you know how many, but don't put the, the don't put this up on the screen yet. Anybody want to guess how many hours of sleep the average American got in 1879? Eleven hours a night. Wow, that's right. 11 hours a night. Anybody want to guess what the average American gets today? Yeah, that's right. 6.8 hours. Let me ask you this. Think about this. How is it possible, how is it possible that we get five hours less of sleep a night than those in the late 1800s, but we have all of these time-saving devices now? Do you know what you had to do in the late 1800s if you wanted to stay warm? You had to cut down a tree. Like literally, I would be dead. I could not cut down a tree if I wanted to. You had to cut down a tree and make firewood. Now, if you want to stay warm or cool, what do you do? Beep, beep, beep. You push a button. If you wanted to clean the dishes... What did you do? You clean them by hand. Now, most people, right, have a dishwasher. If you wanted to go talk to somebody, you know what you had to do? You had to walk or ride a stinky horse, or you literally had to use, think about this, true story, and those of you that are millennials, people used to use this appendage to write people with, like they would write letters with. It's insane to think about. You would, have to, you would have to literally sit down and write out what you wanted to say. Now, if you want to talk to somebody, what do you do? You text them or you message them on Facebook. And if you're really crazy and like have like a really weird relationship, you might even call them. And like they'll hear your voice. It's really awkward, right? If you wanted to know how to do something in the late 1800s, what would you do? You had to learn the hard way, trial and error. Or you had to read a book. Now, what do you do? Siri or YouTube or Google, right? We have all these time-saving devices. What happened all the time? I'll tell you what happened is rather than using the time we were given to create margin in our lives, we simply decided to spend every last drop of it on something else. And listen, guys, in the 1960s, nobody saw this coming. In fact... All the futurists and political theorists thought that uh, by now we would all be working fewer hours and less days. Listen to this. In fact, there was this, uh, there was this famous Senate subcommittee, 1967, that said this. By 1985, by 1985, the average American would only work 22 hours a week and 27 weeks a year. They literally thought the main problem that we would have today would be too much leisure time. And yet, since 1973, leisure time has decreased by 37% in America. And with the decrease of that, obviously, we've seen things like the death of the Sabbath. Uh, Back before 1969, every Sunday, like the whole city would shut down except for a church building. Can you imagine every Sunday, it was like a snow day but with no internet? We can't even imagine that, can we? We literally cannot comprehend that we are such an incredibly busy culture always something to do even right now what's on your mind most of us and i'm not trying to bring shame or guilt on you it's probably not just being fully present right here we can't help ourselves and what doesn't help us at all is we've got these things called smartphones that have literally become an addiction I don't know if you've seen any of the studies recently, but um, go just Google it. I mean, any study, and this is more of one of the one of the more conservative studies, says that the average American touches their smartphone two thousand six hundred and seventeen times a day for a combined of two and a half hours. This is why psychologists are now labeling many people's relationship to their phone as compulsive or addictive. We are a people who always need something to do, and that's why we love that hit from the phone. Anybody need me? Anybody text me? Anybody call me? I got another email, right? Anybody message me on Facebook? Oh, we just got to have something to do. We are a people who are so busy that psychologists and mental health professionals are now talking about this new thing called hurry sickness, which they are defining as a behavioral pattern characterized by continual rushing or anxiousness. Hurry sickness, a behavioral pattern characterized by continual rushing and anxiousness. If we can be honest today, I bet we all have just at least a little touch of the hurry sickness. We all tend to rush from one thing to the next thing to the next thing. We're constantly in a hurry, constantly on the go. And listen to me, it is doing violence to your soul. It is robbing you of the life that you are longing for with Christ. Rather than experiencing right now a life that's marked by love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control, most of us in here, or at least most of the people out there, I know you guys are probably different, but most Christians today are people who are professing to be Christians. They're irritable. They're hypersensitive. They're restless. They're disconnected and altogether emotionally and spiritually unhealthy. So, thanks for having me. Y'all have a great day. So, I've been preaching in a suffering series for the last, like, month in our church. So, this is actually, like, feels kind of light compared to what I've been talking about. The guy that I have preaching for me today is literally preaching on how to die well. And so, it's like, this is, at least you're not at Fellowship Paragon. right? At least you're a member here. Um, So, that's all the bad news. Here's the good news again. Jesus is calling you into a different way of living today. It's possible. It truly is possible. And if it's not, then Jesus is a liar and you should just abandon the faith. Jesus is not a liar. He's faithful. And he's wanting to promise you today, no matter who you are, what your job description is, no matter how significant you think you are, you're not more the significant than Jesus. And he was the most rested human being on the planet. And he's inviting you today, though Jesus, by the way, had a life that was full and all over the map. He was still very rested. He was still very present. He was still very much just emotionally healthy. And he says today, you can experience that life. The question is how? Well, he says by picking up the yoke. How do you do that? So if I can, just let me be very, very, very practical. I love practicality. Let me be very practical. I'm going to show you five things, if you take notes, that I think you can begin to implement this week to help you take up the easy yoke. First thing I would say is this. If you want to experience rest, and this first one really is a non-negotiable, you need to have a fixed time of silence and solitude every day. Um, Syrian Kierkegaard said the following if I were allowed to prescribe just one remedy for all the ills of the modern world I would prescribe silence and solitude now what exactly is silence and solitude silence and solitude is a time where literally you remove yourself from noise and people you remove yourself from noise and people that is so incredibly hard in our culture for me I have to do that in the mornings before my wife and kids get up and literally this is what I do and this is painful by the way Because you're gonna have to start dealing with some of the stuff in your own heart that you're trying to actually like stay so busy to numb all that and not deal with. I just literally, for me, I sit down in the mornings. I brew me a cup of coffee and I just go, I breathe in, I breathe out. and I say, okay, God, I'm here. You're here. Help me to just be present with you. And I breathe and I try not to think about anything other than just the presence of God. And then I open up the scriptures And I have a daily Bible reading plan, and so I just read wherever I am in that. And I don't just be like, okay, God, you got anything for me? One, Mississippi, two, Mississippi, three. Nope, okay, I'm out, right? (laughs) Like, I read it, and then I actually just try to pause and meditate on it. And you know what? I don't always have these, like, mountaintop experiences, like these aha moments. But you know what I do experience? Peace and rest. Imagine that. Silence and Solitude. A time just to be real before God and experience his presence. The second thing I would say is if you want to experience rest, you need to have a fixed Sabbath. You need to have one day a week where you can be and not do. For me, this is a uh, Saturday because Sunday's a work day for me. For you, it may be a Sunday. But you need a day where you can sleep and rest and read the scriptures and pray and just do whatever it is that's life-giving for you. Eat good food. Hang out with the kids and just be reminded that you are a human being, not a human doing, that your identity is not found in what you do. It's found in what God has done for you in Christ, and that you actually can stop one day. You can push pause on the work, and guess what? The world's going to continue to go on without you because God is in control. Therefore, you don't have to be. If you can learn how to Sabbath well one day a week, you know what's going to happen? That's going to spill over to the rest of your week. You're going to learn how to rest in the midst of the work, but you have to learn how to do it at least one day a week. At least one day a week. So I have a fixed Sabbath. Third thing I would say, and this might not be uh, for some of you, but a fixed schedule I think is incredibly important. Time, remember this, time is like money. If you don't budget it, you'll waste it. You'll be surprised, by the way, if you could just go and look at your past year, how much time you actually have that you have just wasted on social media and other things. And we have a lot more time than we think we do, but you've got to budget your time. You've got to schedule it. Stephen Colby says this, inner peace is achieved when our schedule aligns with our values. Figure out what you value and make sure your schedule reflects that throughout the week. That'll help you learn to say no to things you should say no to and yes to things that you should say yes to. The fourth thing I would say is uh, this idea of simple living. Some people might call it uh, minimalism. And this is just an idea of like, if you have a cluttered and don't elbow your spouse or whatever, if you have a cluttered life, like literally, like you have clutter all around you, it typically leads to kind of a cluttered mind, a cluttered soul, more anxiety, all sorts of research on that. I would encourage you, Jesus was like the ultimate, like minimalist, obviously. He, he lived a simple life. And the whole goal of simplistic living is this, is you're just getting rid of the stuff that don't add value to your life. You're only keeping the things that, that increase your quality of life. And so this may mean for some of you, getting rid of some shoes that you don't need, right? Like maybe you don't need 15 pairs of shoes, Maybe you don't need that huge DVD collection. Maybe you don't need 15 different games on your phone, right? Or all these different social media apps. Just learning to cut out the stuff that is not increasing the quality of your life. And then the last thing I would just say is this. Look for ways, practical ways, for you personally to just slow down your pace. This has been a huge journey for me in the past year. And to be honest, this is why I preach this message whenever Chris asked me to preach it because it's the one that's most in my heart right now. Um... My mentor, Richard Plass, who I, I talked about earlier, he told me when I first started to meet with him last year, he's like, if you don't slow down, you're going to kill your marriage or your ministry or just die of a heart attack in like 10 years. He's like you've got to chill out. I meet with uh, Dr. Spanos in, in Jonesboro, who's like this natural, whatever you call it, doctor. I don't know. What do you call those people? What's that? A naturopath? What's that? Well, I, you guys get the point. Point is, all right. <laughs> I don't know why she's called. I go to her. And so, um, and she does all this testing on me. She told me, she said, Jared, your, your thyroid is just like pumping the brakes because you're moving so fast. Like your body's feeling it. There's a great book out there, by the way, called The Body Keeps the Score. I would encourage you to read it. She's like, your body will keep that, that stress. It's telling, your body knows, like you're moving too fast, faster than the way God designed you to move. Slow down. So I'm trying to figure this stuff out. And here's just some practical things that I'm doing to slow my life down. And some of you are like, seriously, like, are, we, like are, you, are you 10? Like, okay, this, I, this is where I am, all right? So here's just a few things I'm doing. One is I'm taking a couple walks every week, and I'm literally just trying to feel my feet touch the ground and just be present in a moment. I'm also trying to just walk slower in general. I was at uh, Walmart like three months ago, and I don't even know what I was getting. And all of a sudden, I heard this woman say, man, that boy's on a mission, isn't he? And she was saying that because I was just like, <laughs> you know, just like flying through. And I don't want to it's just the way I walk. My wife all the time is like, wait for me. And it's like, you know, it's like, I don't know. It's just like I want to get from point A to point B as soon as possible. Like, why are we taking our time? Let's, You know, and so I'm trying to walk slower. Uh, another thing I'm trying to do is I'm trying to drive the speed limit which was not easy coming here uh, from Paragol. We left a little bit late. We're on Interstate 55, and it was anyways. I'm trying to drive the speed limit. Another thing I'm trying to do is I'm trying to come to a full stop at a stop sign. Anybody tried that lately? (laughs) (laughs) The struggle is real, man. I try to come to a full stop at a stop sign. I also am trying to arrive 10 minutes early at appointments and not pull my phone out. All right? And then uh, another thing I'm doing is it's, it's... really cool thing from the 90s. It's called single tasking. I don't know if you guys ever heard of it. And so um, it's like I'm trying not to be like talking to you and texting and also like looking at the next movie trailer and like, you know, I'm just trying to be putting my notifications off, put my phone up. And I'm not always great at this stuff, by the way, and my wife's here. She can tell you this, but I'm trying to just be present and just do one thing at a time. And then the last thing I would say I'm doing, and this has been so fruitful for me, Uh, and I think maybe Chris has done this before too, but it's called The Prayer of Examine, and it's where I literally every morning I take just a few moments to thank God for 24 things from the previous 24 hours. That's very good for me as an anxious soul who's always got things to do, have always got things to improve, always got a deadline to meet, just stop and thank God for the things that happened in the past 24 hours. And it's amazing what can begin to come to your heart and your mind as you think about it. And then I ask five questions along with that prayer of examine. I say, when did I feel in the last 24 hours? When did I feel most loved? When did I feel most alive? When did I feel most drained? When did I give the most love? And then what do I wanna do differently today in light of what I've done yesterday and what I know is coming up today? What I want to do differently So I share that and it's not like you should have to do everything that i'm doing but here's the point guys You're never going to experience the rest and the peace that every single person in here is longing for If you do not learn to slow down your pace of life This is a far bigger deal than you think it is like we're blinded to this in american culture. We're just going with the flow And it's going to drown us if we're not careful Um Some of you in here this morning, you're moving at a breakneck speed. And right now, you're young enough or your health is good enough where you can sustain that pace. But for the most of us, if you can be honest, you're starting to feel anxious and tired and worn out. And fortunately today, Jesus is inviting us into a better way of living. Jesus is telling you right now, he wants to breathe into you a new life so that you can face the day with joy in your heart but you have to decide if you want to accept that invitation. You have to decide, do you want to give Jesus not just your Sunday, but your every day? Is Jesus worth reorienting all of your life around, even if it means saying no to some of the other stuff that people in the culture are not saying no to? Jesus is inviting us this morning to come to him as we are. He says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. He doesn't say clean yourself up first, he didn't say get your schedule figured out first. He says, Come to me as you are. Come to me in your brokenness. Come to me in your weariness. Come to me in your anxiety. Come to me in all of this stuff. Pick up my easy yoke. Tuck in next to me. Walk with me. Learn the rhythms of my life. And know that when you do, though your life will not be perfect, it will not always be easy, it will not always be clean, you will, in fact, he promises you find rest for your weary soul. And you will discover that even in the heaviness of life, you will feel light and you will find the life that you're longing for. Amen. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you so much for the people of Renewal Church. I thank you for each person in this room. What a gift to have an opportunity to worship with my brothers and sisters today. I pray that right now, Holy Spirit, that you will take these words and make them alive in our hearts. I pray for the brother or the sister who is here who is just filled with anxiety and they feel so heavy, would you please call them into yourself? Give them the faith they need to trust you with everything that they have, all of their time, all of their money, everything that they are, to trust them with you and to know that whenever they do, they will find the freedom and the forgiveness and the rest that they are longing for in you. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.